You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Job chapter 18. Uh, we've uh, Last time we finished uh, 17, which was Job's response um, it was Job's response to uh, Eliphaz, and so then we come to chapter 18, and we're going to see Bildad. This is friend number two with his second speech, so we're just going to get right into it because we are running a little bit later than usual. Hey, the great thing is we ran two bus routes tonight, and I think that's probably the problem with Amy. Amy and Pat were the adults on the second bus, and those bus kids, they'll send you to the hospital. Uh, but we no, we had uh, we ran two routes tonight. Very thankful because we had we had parents that were basically like, "This is they're getting back too late now." And what do you do? Like we didn't get back till ten thirty last week, and uh, so we ran two routes tonight, and it was uh, we were able to keep it under an hour for the route, and both the one route was under an hour. There was about forty five minutes. So um, thankful for that. We're working on it. Uh, I've, I have. I have submitted my application to become a certified CDL trainer. Don't let anybody do it, apparently. And uh, so, but the good thing is, I can do training for men in our church or women who would like to get their CDLs. I can do the training, and it won't cost the church anything. Uh, they have to take theory courses, which will cost about seventy-five dollars, fifty to seventy-five dollars, to take the theory courses. We thought, and this would have cost over fifteen hundred dollars to do all of this. And um, because of Warren's <coughs> directing us in the right place, um, it, I should be set up as a certified trainer, hopefully in the next couple days, and then we can start getting Glenn trained. But I told him, I'm not taking it easy on you. You know, nobody took it easy on me when I had my test. So, um, But anyway, so Glenn's going to get his, and we'd, we'd love to have a couple more men that might get it to help, just as backups and stuff like that. So if you're interested in doing that, or women, like I said, I shouldn't say men, a couple more people. Um, Linda Hall had her license, but she would never serve the Lord in that way. So <laughs> I hope she's watching. I hope she's watching. She would always offer to drive the bus to the men's conference. I don't know why, but she always <laughs> offered to do that. All right, let's go to Job chapter 18, verse number 1. <clears throat> then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Now uh, remember, the three, the three friends, quote-unquote friends, and I think that they started out as friends, and I think they're trying to be friends, but they're just so arrogant and they're so self-righteous that they are not being very good friends. Um, but each one has given a statement or a speech to Job and Job has responded to each one. Tonight, chapter 18, is one of those speeches and chapter 19 is a response. So let's see if we can get through it. Verse 2. How long will it ere ye make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. So back in chapter 16, in verse 3, Job says, Shall vain words have an end? And he was talking uh, to his friends. Shall vain words have an end? He was saying, How long are you going to keep spewing your empty, empty narrative about my life? And so Bildad now says back to Job, How long are you going to keep spewing your words? And so you can see that they're starting to wear thin on each other. These, uh, Job and his friends and his friends and Job. And so he says, Mark. And that means to understand. So Bildad is saying, Listen, you need to understand. 
Stop talking. Understand that I'm right and you're not. That's basically what he's saying. Um, he goes, so once you do that, then we will speak. And so his patience is about gone with Job. And it is so clear to build that with the problems. Right? It's Job. Why won't you understand that? It's your, you're the problem. Where, verse 3, wherefore <clears throat> are we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? So he's saying, are we, am I just, are we just dumb animals to you? Are we just dirty and defiled? Is that why you're arguing against all of us this way? This is what Bildad is saying. Are, are, are we just dumb? Are you just looking at us as people that don't know what they're talking about? Well, Proverbs 15.22 is, a, is a, a proverb that we quote. Well, we know with Proverbs, they're not always things that just generally are true, or not, or specifically always true. That verse says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety, right? That's wisdom. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. But what about when the counselors are the wrong counselors, giving you wrong counsel? Well, it doesn't matter how many you have, does it? Uh, so the, the truth, we, we, he's, we need to understand the truth. The counselors need to understand the truth. Then the multitude of counselors can be a detriment if they don't, instead of a benefit. Uh, he's got three counselors, right? These are the only three people that are coming to his aid. Well, them and, and, and his wife at the beginning, right? Those are the only ones coming to his aid, and they're not being good counselors. His wife says, curse God and die. Everybody else says, you're the problem. You're what's wrong. Then in verse 4, he teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee, and shall the rock be removed out of his place? So Job said in chapter 16, verse 9, which we covered last, two weeks ago, that God was tearing him in his wrath. But Bildad says, no, he, it, here's what he's saying in verse 4. He teareth in anger. He's saying, the, the wicked man, he's tearing himself in anger. You're doing it to yourself, is what he's saying. Now, a, a persuasive argument at this point might be, well, Job, you're blaming this on God. And, and what you're doing isn't working for you, right? You ever tell somebody, look, the, the, the approach you're taking isn't working. His friends very well could have said, Job, uh, you've gone through all these trials and problems, and your pain's not getting better. You keep blaming God, and your pain's still not getting better. You're not taking blame for it on yourself, and your pain's not getting better. So they could have done that. Not that they would have been right. They could have done that. And they could have said, but so why don't you try something different? Why don't you try my idea? To build that, what was happening to Job was a natural course of things. If you sin, you get punished. And so basically, he's saying God is angry, but Job, you could alleviate his anger by just repenting. Bildad felt that for Job to blame this on God and expect that the solution uh, to be to, to expect that expect that to this to be the solution is an unnatural, as the rocks picking themselves up and moving them out of out of the place. So that didn't come out very clear. But uh, he's at, he says, and shall the rocks be removed out of this place? He's like, that's that's un, shall the earth be forsaken? That's unnatural is what he's saying. And so to expect that God's going to take this away without you repenting is unnatural, like rocks moving themselves out of the place. Verse 5. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. In Job chapter 17, verses 13 and 14, Job had described... His fate as darkness. He used that word over and over. And throughout his responses, he has used that word darkness. So Bildad thinks it's important to convince Job that the darkness 
corresponds with his wickedness. Verse 7. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The jinn shall take him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. So the, the rest of the speech, the rest of this speech contains many references to he or him. Uh, he, he says in these verses, uh, he, his, him, and over and over. Well, who's he talking about? He's not uh, directly talking about Job, but he's talking about the wicked. And he thinks Job fits that bill because of what he's seeing. So Bildad says that the steps of his strength are not made straight like an arrow, but straightened like being in straights. Okay, so you see the word straight there, straightened, verse 7. That's not to, uh, it's not to be straight as an arrow. It's not the S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Is that right? Uh, it's not that, but it is S-T-R-A-I-T. To be in straights, to be held, uh, to be bound. And so he says you're being straightened, you're being held in bonds. In other words, they're being restrained like the shortened steps of an elderly man whose strength is failing. I have read somewhere one time that as you get older, your, your, your steps slowly get shorter and shorter. And so when, I, when I'm walking somewhere, I think about that. and I'm like, I'm purposely taking large steps, right? I'm resisting aging. Uh, but if you watch people as they get older, um, turn on the news, watch important people in our nation, and you'll see that their steps get very, very short as they have gotten older. And uh, so that's basically what he's, what he's picturing here. And so his own advice or counsel cast, cast him down. And that means to stop listening to yourself. That, that's good advice if you're wicked, right? Don't listen if you're wicked. Now, I know we're all sinners. It's not that we're not talking about people who are sinners or not sinners because that would, that would be 100% on one side. But he's talking about people who are wicked, people who live in sin, people who have unrepentant sin. Now, verse 11 Terror shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. His strength shall be hunger bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his kin. Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. So Job described, when he would talk, he described how he felt. He didn't hold back. He said, this is how I feel about things. One of those places was chapter 16. In verses 11 through 13, Job describes him feeling like he was hunted and being surrounded by hunters. If you go back and read it, the picture there is that he's being hunted by those and he's being surrounded by those that are doing the hunting. So hunger bitten here in verse 12 means, well, so that, that goes to verse 11. Terry shall make him afraid on every side. He's saying, you said that you feel like you're surrounded. Well, guess what? For the wicked man, that's how he feels. So he, again... Bildad is trying to equate Job with wicked simply because of some of the similarities of, the, uh, of what was happening to them. So then in verse 12, hunger bitten. That means to be weakening. And so he is, he is weak and destruction is about to have its way. That's what he says. Destruction will be ready at his side. Verse 13, it shall devour the strength of his skin. Um, basically what that means is his skin is weakened. Now you think about Job, what, what was Job dealing with? Yes, there was the loss of all those people, loss of all his friends, all, the loss of his loved ones. 
but his body was covered in sores. And if, and if you've had sores like that, the, the skin is weakened. So he's, again, he's equating, saying, well, you have these sores, and the wicked... Uh, now, whether, whether uh, Bildad was building his doctrine on what he was seeing in Job, or whether Bildad actually believed this and is trying to equate it, I'm not sure. But it seems like he might be looking at that and going, well, let's see, if I think that you're wicked... And I think, um, and I, if I think that Jeff is wicked, I don't know why it was picked up. Um, but I say, you know, wicked, wickedness, man. I'm telling you what, it'll cause you to lose your hair. <laughs> wickedness will cause your eyesight to, to diminish, and now you got to wear glasses. Wickedness will make you wear a bright green shirt under your jacket, right? I mean, am I, am I, do I really believe those things, or am I seeing what I think is wickedness and then building my doctrine on that? So uh, I don't think that wickedness causes you to lose your hair, Joshua. Um, but, I, uh, but I think that might be a little bit of what is happening here. That was a totally unnecessary illustration, but I thought it would be fun. So thank you, Jeff. Uh, verse 14. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. It shall dwell in his tabernacle, because it is none of his. Brimstone shall be scattered upon his habitation. His roots shall be dried up beneath, and above shall his branch be cut off. Um, now, when we, when we read the word tabernacle, verse 14, sometimes we think of that as a place of worship, right? Because of the, the Israelites traveling, and they had the tabernacle. And, uh, but it just simply means a tent. It means a, a dwelling place. Uh, and so it was his home. It was his tent. It's where he stored all of his goods. It's where his family uh, his, and his children would have been when they were young. And so his confidence would leave those things, or they would leave, uh, they would leave him, and he would be brought to the king of terrors. Well, what is the king of terrors? Death. All right, that's the ultimate king of terrors for people is death. Uh, and so that death would dwell in his tabernacle. Now, Job's children had all died, hadn't they? Um, he had lost many of his of his buildings of the homes that he had built, um, but so it seems here that that uh, Bildad is attempting again to prove Job's guilt by the death of his children. And what a horrible, horrible friend that is um, to to try to say, "Hey, I know you're going through this hard thing, but the reason you went through it is because you're a sinner." I, I when when people lose loved ones. Um, number one, I would never tell them that's why, because I don't know why it is. I also tell people, you can't go back and, and judge yourself on that. You can't go back and try to say, man, I think the reason that I lost my spouse, or the reason I lost my parents, because I this, right? That, well, it's a point out of the man wants to die. And God knew the timing, and we simply don't know what the background was. We do in this case, and it wasn't that. Uh, Job's friends seem to think that Job's wealth and success were the keys to his life. Right? I mean, isn't that the, the country we live in? Everybody, that, that's what people think, right? The, the society we live in is that your wealth and your success is, you know, that must, must be God's blessing. must be that you are doing something right because of the wealth and success. I've heard people say about churches, hey, they're growing, that church is growing, so they must be doing something right. That's very possible. But it's also very possible that they're not doing something right. right? We can't judge it based on that. Um, and so God had taken, he had taken those things. He had taken the, the things that were in his tabernacle, in his tent. And so obviously, 
He must be doing something wrong. That's, that's the view here. His branches or his posterity was also cut off. This, to them, was also further proof of Job's wickedness. Verse 17, his remembrance shall perish from the earth, and he shall have no name in the street. He shall be driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. Now, we, we know that Job was an important man. There was none greater than him in all of, the, all of the east, right? There was nobody greater than Job. Job was wealthy. Job had power. Job was, I think he was well-respected. He was someone, that's, that's what we're certainly led to believe. Uh, he was a prominent man in society. But, when he says he shall have, in verse 17, and he shall have no name in the street. Well, you know what? That got wiped out, so you must, have, you must be wicked. And he would be chased out of society because of his sin. Verse 19. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. Um, one thing you didn't understand, in, in, Elizabethan, in Elizabethan English, um, which I can't even say the word Elizabethan, uh, in Elizabethan English, the word nephew does not necessarily mean the son of your brother or sister. It, it, it means uh, basically a descendant. It can mostly refer to grandchildren. So in verse 19, in fact, um, where is it? In the New Testament, there's, um, there's a passage that talks about taking care of the widows. And it says that uh, let her sons or nephews take care of her. It's not nephews. It, the the literal, literal word means male descendants like a grandson type thing. So, um, uh, he shall have... He shall have neither son nor nephew among his people. In other words, he will have nobody remaining. He will have nobody. Uh, again, his posterity has been destroyed. Why? Because he's wicked. And so since Job's kids were killed, then the natural, the natural conclusion that he came to was that Job was wicked. Verse 20, they that come after him shall be astonished at his day as they that went before were affrighted. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked. And this is the place of him that knoweth not God. So Bildad's speech here ends with a very poignant attack on Job. He's clearly calling him out as wicked, isn't he? There's no doubt. You can't even make an argument that that's not the case. But it ends with this. This is the place of him that knoweth not God. So not only was he saying you're in sin, but he's saying you don't even know God. Now he didn't say you. He said the wicked man. And he did everything he could to, to draw parallels between Job and the wicked man. And then he said that you do not know God, or that that man does not know God. Commentator Mike Mason wrote this, It is not Job's wickedness, but his faithfulness that the Lord is disclosing through this ordeal. In fact, there may be nothing our God wants more than to bring each one of us to the point where he can do exactly the same, exactly what he did with Job. Hand us over with perfect confidence into the clutches of Satan, knowing that even then, our faith will hold. That's a great point, right? His friends are saying, you're going through this because God's trying to point out, God's trying to display that you're wicked. But that's the opposite of what God was doing. God was demonstrating how righteous Job was. His friends had it completely wrong. Let's go to chapter 19, verse 1. Then, it, then, answered, then Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. All right? we, we, we've heard that when we were kids. And maybe we taught it to our kids to say, get over it. But we know that that's not true. We, we know that it's misguided. It's terribly misguided. 
We, we know that we must consider the source. And there are times when people say things, and I have had these conversations with my kids, and I've had them recently with my kids that at college. Listen, it doesn't matter what they say to you. You've got to consider the source. And, but here's the thing. I can have on a Sunday, I can have, I can have 110 people, I think, Sunday, uh, who either said something positive to me after church or didn't say anything to me at all about the sermon. But that one person online who wants to make a comment, it gets under my skin. It hurts. I don't like that. And I think we're all like that. And if not, if you don't, if you don't think you'd be like that, put your words out there three times a week and let people comment on them and see how you feel about it. Um, so, but then we have to step back and say, I'm going to consider the source. Like all these godly people that love me were kind, but this one person who always wants to hurt, you know, that's just what they want to do. And so when it comes to words that others say about you, we must consider the source. But I know that even when it comes from someone who is disingenuous or from someone who nobody else listens to or anybody, it still hurts. But when it comes to you from someone you have shared life with, someone who was once your friend, someone who you once trusted, then as Job says, it can vex, which means to torment. He says, well, how long are you going to torment my soul? Sometimes these words come from those who are supposed to help you. Dale Moody said, the church has become very jealous about, being, about men being unsound in the faith. If a man becomes unsound in the faith, they draw their ecclesiastical swords and cut at him. But he may never, he may ever be so unsound in love, and they don't say anything. Here's what he's saying. So what, you, you get something wrong in your exposition of scripture, people are going to take you with the sword. But you don't love people, and they don't really care. Because this doctrine is right. Uh, we, yesterday, uh, we got to hear a missionary speak um, and Sam Gunner supports him. Their church supports him. Sam, I know some of you don't even know Sam. You've got to meet him uh, if you haven't met him. Um, but he pastors LifePoint Baptist. And he's a good friend of mine. He, um, he loves, his, his love language is to rip on me. You know, so. Uh, but yesterday, I preached yesterday, and he, he, in the car, he said, that was a good sermon. And then later he said, no, really, I meant that that was a good sermon. So, I, you know, I, I think he's mad at me because he was nice. But, um, no, Sam's a great guy. He supports his missionary, and he preached yesterday, and his name is Irfan Abdulatif. Do you guys remember him from Antioch? Okay. So he's a missionary to um, uh, over in the Middle East. I'm not going to say where, because I don't know if, if that's okay. Um, but he spoke yesterday. He talked about He said, we don't have the luxury of dividing over small things over there. In the Middle East, where you can't even plant churches, it's illegal to plant churches. And he says, we don't have that luxury. We don't get to just say, you know what? We're not going to fellowship with the people down the street because they don't see this one little issue the same way we do. And it, it, But he said, I come back to the States, man, people divide over everything. And he's absolutely right. And that's what D.O. Moody uh, was also talking about. Verse 3, these ten times have ye reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. Job's refuted their claims over and over. Over and over he said, no, this isn't true. And he's told them of the pain that they caused him over and over. Yet they still insisted in their accusation. So Job says, you make yourselves strange to me. The word strange, um, you might look at someone in here and say, you're strange, right? Um, but you might look at me and say, you're strange. But that's not what it means. It means you've dealt wrongly with me. 
So Job is saying, here he says, listen, I've told you over and over, but you, you, you've dealt wrong with me. And then he says, you, uh, you're not ashamed that ye yourselves are strange to me. You're not even ashamed of it. It doesn't even bother you. They, they were not ashamed of the way they treated him and talked with him. Verse 4, And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remain, remaineth with myself. So he's not admitting the sin, but his argument, for argument's sake, he says, okay, if I did, if I did make an error, it is only me that has to answer for it. He's not claiming sinlessness, and he's also not conceding that he was guilty of some wickedness that was unconfessed and bringing turmoil in his life. He's not doing that, but he's saying, listen, if I did err, now it's between you and I. I don't think he's rebuking his friends for caring, right? He's not rebuking his friends for coming, if they'd come to him and said, hey, Job, is there anything in your life that's unconfessed? I mean, maybe that's why this is coming to your life. If they came to him in that way, he could say, no. Man, I am prayed up. I am confessed up. I Yes, I sinned, but I have confessed it. There is nothing in my heart that is not confessed to God. I, I think that they would have said, if they would have said, okay, then we're going to pray with you through this. He wouldn't have complained about that. But at this point, they've done what they can. They, they've come to him, they've said their word, and he says, listen, that's not the case. So he's saying, listen, at this point, you're freed from any responsibility to rebuke me now because you've already done it. As far as I'm concerned, if I have erred, my error is with myself, and I'm the only one who will answer for it, not you. Verse 5, if indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach. Know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his, uh, with his net. So Job claims that God is responsible for his suffering, and that is accurate in one sense. God did turn Job over to the wicked one, to Satan, to destroy him. Without, uh, with almost no boundaries, right? The only boundary was you can't take his life. Uh, compassed or com- compassed or compassed in the old English meant something like to wrap up or to strangle. Uh, we are surrounded, Hebrews 12.1, this is the passage I preached on yesterday. We are surrounded by, so we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. The word means to surround or even, even in a... Uh, uh, stronger sense to, to come around and almost to strangle. And so that's the word that's being used here. Um, God, he had compassed me or he had, he had taken his net around me. Uh, and so this is not one of those nets for safety. This is not the net under the person doing the trapeze act. This is a net where he feels constrained. A net where he, where he feels like almost like a, a like a fawn caught in a trap where there's lions circling around and ready to plot, uh, ready to plot the death. Verse 7, Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He felt wrong. And as he cried out, asking for, hearing, uh, for a hearing, he wants to plead his case. He wants to have his day in court. He wants God to hear his case. He wants to hear God's case against him. But there is no judgment. Verse 8. He hath fenced up what I fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he hath set my set darkness in my paths. Back in chapter 3, we talked about and uh, Job had said he feels like he's hedged in. He feels trapped. His path is dark. So Job is struggling with dark thoughts. He's struggling with uh, a belief in darkness after life. But he also can't seem to see the road God is taking him on. 
this was a dark place. This was, we're not going to hide that. There's no way around that. Job is in a very dark place. He's been through things that none of us can even imagine. Um, and so he's in, he's in a dark place. And so that comes out in some of his words. He had, verse 9, he has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone. And mine hope hath he removed like a tree. Job wasn't a king, but he was wealthy. And uh, he was a man who had lost everything. He's comparing himself to a king whose glorious robe, whose, whose glorious crown is taken from him. So he says, what kind of king doesn't have those things? Well, that's the way he feels. Like, what kind, or what kind, he says in verse number uh, 10, he hath destroyed me on every side, and I am, go- I am gone, and my hope is, hath he removed like a tree? He feels like a tree that's been uprooted by a storm, that the storm came and just pulled him up and took away everything that was his security, everything that was, uh, that was stable in his life, and now it's all gone. Verse 11, he hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counteth me unto him as one of his enemies. Had Job become the enemy of God? No. No. He felt that way. He felt attacked by an army. His troops, verse 12, his troops come together and raise up their, their way against me and encamp around about my tabernacle. It felt like that army is from God. Commentator Elmer Slick wrote this, Reverse this order and you have step-by-step destruction of what happened in siege warfare. Listen, God's troop laid siege as if Job were a fortified city. But alas, he was only a tent. That's the way he felt. That, that God, is, God is sending an army after him like he's the, got the walls of Jericho around him. But he's really just a tent. He's just a tabernacle. And he feels like this huge army has just attacked him. Verse 13. He hath put my brethren far from me and mine acquaintance, my, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed. My familiar friends have forgotten me. Um... There were many that would come to see Job prior to these tragedies. No doubt they would have come because Job was wealthy and there's a good place to stay. And he's got a nice guest house and he's got good food and, and he's a good guy that we want to go. And plus he's a nice guy and he's a generous person. So we want to go stay with Job. But even uh, they, w- they wouldn't come now and even these friends, probably at one time he considered brethren to him, they'd been removed far from him. So physically they're close but they proved over and over that they have no sense of compassion for him as his, as their brother. Verse 15. They that dwell in mine house and mine maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I, am, I called my servant. He gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. I want to finish this chapter, so bear with me. I'm going to fly through it, okay? Um, but he, he, so he's got these people. He lost his, his cattle. He lost all those possessions, but he still has his house. Nothing says that his house was destroyed, so he still has servants there, and he would... Try to call them, and they were far off, and they didn't answer. Verse 17. My breath is strange to my wife. I understand that one, <laughs> especially after I have onions. Uh, Though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Yea, young children despised me. I rose, and they spoke against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I have loved turned against me. So Job's wife is put off by him. Little children are put off by him. There's speculation. Did Job have grandchildren that survived? What, you know, I don't know that that's what we're being told. I don't know that we know. Did he have nieces and nephews? Who are the children? Are these children in the city? We don't know. 
Bone, verse 20. My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Uh, this, this has become an idiom in our language, right? You escape by the skin of your teeth. That comes from this passage. Um, Job did not have this idiom back then. Uh, we get our idiom from this. Uh, and basically, your, your skin don't have, your teeth don't have skin. But uh, just furthers the point that Job was all but gone physically. Verse 21. Have pity upon me and have pity upon me, O ye my friends. For the hand of God hath touched me. Why do ye persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? So he feels like his friends are persecuting him. He feels like his friends uh, are not encouraging him like they should. He's not getting answers from God and his friends are just piling on him. So here's the thing. Job knew God had the right to bring this on him. But he felt like his friends did not, and I think he was right. Verse 23. All that my words were now written. All that they were printed in a book. Man, that's a great idea. Right? They were written. They were printed in a book, and that's what we're reading right now. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. So Joe had no idea. He had no idea. Listen, this is important. He had no idea the significance of his story. He had no idea that his story would be written down for people... 4,000, 5,000 years later, I think probably 4,500, you were guessing, years later, for us to be reading his story here at church on a Wednesday night and learning from him. He had no idea. I, I think that there's probably his friends, when they started to see things change and they, they see how things work out, I think people around him would probably say, oh, well, we were wrong. And they probably learned from his story. But his story was written down for us. He thought it was so bad that the Lord had ceased to be concerned. Yet God was following every breath of Job. And his words were written down forever. You have no idea how God's going to use your story. Well, I, you know what? My story isn't that good. My story, you know, nobody even knows my story. God knows your story, and you have no idea. Don't underestimate what God is doing in you and what God will do through you if you will let him. Verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. So we know Job's going through all this mental juggling, right? There's darkness, everything's bad, everything's... But then he comes back and he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Um, a Redeemer was someone who rescues a person from turmoil, especially an innocent person who was, excuse me, who was falsely accused. The Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, is beautifully illustrated in the story of Ruth and Boaz. Um, and so he says, my Redeemer, I, I know that my Redeemer lived. Now, it doesn't just stop there, right? That's a, great, that's a great line. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Here's what that means. He says, I'm, he's going to stand as the Redeemer. He's going to stand as my Redeemer. And a Redeemer was also a vindicator. God, listen, God doesn't vindicate us that, oh, we've never done anything wrong. But he vindicates us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, this person, Stephen, is righteous. Not because Stephen wasn't a sinner, but because through the blood of Jesus Christ, Stephen has been vindicated of the sin that he's committed. And Job says that vindication is going to come. And he knew that. Verse 26. And though after my skin worms destroy this, uh, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So amidst all the questions, amidst all the uncertainty, Job says, I will see my God in my flesh. Whom I shall see for myself, mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed with me. The reins, literally I think of like reindeers and like the reins that they put on. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. Uh, they are literally your kidneys. 
This is your bowels. It's the seat of your emotions. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the seat of the emotions uh, were the kidneys or the reins or the, sometimes the bowels. Um, so he says, and then they would be consumed within me. They would be finished. So his heart was nearing the end. So he's not really talking about his kidneys failing to function. He's saying that in my heart, we would say in our heart, okay? So in my heart, it's about the end. But he also felt he would see his Redeemer before the emotions of the heart failed completely. Verse 28, but ye should say, why, per, why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Here's what he's saying. You need to step back and say, he's not the problem, we're the problem. That's kind of what he's saying there, I think. Um, we keep accusing him, but he's not really the problem that we are. Verse 29, be ye, afraid of, be ye afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth the punishments of the sword, that ye may know there is a judgment. Um, I think what he's saying there is you need to repent of your words against me because the sword is going to come. There, there is a judgment, that ye may know that there is a judgment. Uh, if judgment was going to come, Job would be vindicated, and the words of his friends uh, would be proven to be wrong and be, um, as he says at the beginning of the chapter, vexing. They were, they were tormenting his soul. Um, so, again, once again, not not very good friends. But we're gonna we got one more friend to go through his second time, and then we will keep continuing through this book. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.